Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and you know what's really cool about this time of year is this is Good News Friday today. Next week is Good News Good Friday. And we've got a special program lined up for you here on The Bottom Line Show next Friday as we'll be smack dab in the middle of Holy Week. And we'll be doing something, actually, it's kind of ironic what we're going to talk about today here as we kick off the program. Um, the idea that, uh, you know, we, we had a, some rather major news announced yesterday, and uh, it, it kind of parallels in some ways uh, what we're going to get into to celebrate in Holy Week. Now, again, I'm not, no one would ever equate any political figure or any other human being who ever walked the face of the earth and compare them with the Lord. I mean, the Lord is the Lord, <laughs> fully God, fully man, never, you know, incomparable when it comes to who we are versus who, you know, he is. But at the same time, though, I do find it rather interesting that when you look at Holy Week, it culminated with a trial that was based on trumped-up charges. There's no, I mean, how do you bring the sinless Son of God before a human court and find him guilty of anything except being God? Jesus Christ, on what we call Palm Sunday, returning to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, enters triumphantly on that Palm Sunday. Holy Monday goes to the temple sees the money changers, sees the misdeeds being committed against the poorer of God's people and overturns the tables, takes out a whip and says, my house is a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of iniquity. On Holy Tuesday, he goes back to the same temple and the Pharisees there don't challenge him on the fact that he did what he did. They ask him, by what authority did you do that? And he responds, well, if you can't answer my question about the authority of John the Baptist, did it come from God or did it come from people, I'm not answering your question. Then we get to Spy or Silent Wednesday, and that's the day where Jesus is being anointed in Bethany, and Judas gets on his case and says, why this is so wrong, and we could have sold this perfume for lots of money, and Jesus said, look, I'm being prepared for burial. You know, you, y'all do what you need to do. And that's when Judas heads over to see the Pharisees and says, all right, I'm turning him in. Let's, let's make a deal. So by Monday, Thursday, we get the mandate, the mandatum, if you will, uh, four different mandates that we see that day. The first one is that they celebrate the Passover, which we call the Last Supper, the Last Passover Supper. And Jesus is saying to the disciples as part of that Passover, I will drink this second cup of the plague, in other words, become sin for you. But this cup in my blood, I'm going to the cross, but this cup in my blood, the third cup, which is the cup of redemption in the Passover celebration. Uh, he's going to say, look, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, this cup is for you now. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. That that So the mandate, Jesus has to go to the cross. The mandate, if we're going to love God as Christ loved us, then we have to be able, willing to show that with our brothers and sisters in Christ and serve them. That's where the foot washing comes in. So you've got mandates all over the place on what we call Maundy Thursday and then Good Friday. An innocent man goes before an unrighteous judge and is sentenced to death. Now, we're not seeing that here in the U.S. just yet, but you have to admit the timing is somewhat ironic for two reasons. First of all, the, the long-awaited political football of Donald Trump being indicted finally came to fruition yesterday. We were told it could have happened a week or so ago. And then when the DA's office in Manhattan decided they really didn't have a case, I mean, at best, 
this case against Donald Trump, the paying off of a couple of women uh, using money that was uh, Donald Trump money that got laundered through the Donald Trump campaign to reimburse his attorney who paid it out of his pocket. Um, hate to break it to you, but that happens a lot on both sides of the aisle. As a matter of fact, there's even a slush fund, from what I understand, in Congress for that express purpose. But the idea that uh, somehow he's got you know blood on his hands because of what he did is, I mean, it's a misdemeanor, guys. I mean, it's, I mean the, the left is so desperate to convict Donald Trump of something that this is where they're going. But I just find it rather ironic that on a day when China and Saudi Arabia announce a landmark oil deal that could effectively push the United States out of its position as we're the standard. Everyone wants to know how the U.S. dollar is doing. Everything's backed against the, the U.S. dollar. Well, now China's got you know their currency, obviously. There's gold-backed currencies in Russia and the Middle East. And it's like they're basically saying, we're all going to come together, have this little security alliance, and we're leaving the U.S. out. And meanwhile, what's the U.S. doing? Well, we're going to put in sanctions. What good are U.S. sanctions if China and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Syria and Russia are all playing by a different set of rules? But the big story in the media, of course, is Donald Trump is going to get a rain next Tuesday. Not, I mean, you really have to dig to find the issue with China and Saudi Arabia. And with regard to Donald Trump, does anybody remember the Steele dossier? You remember who was behind the Steele dossier? Yeah. And do you remember how that was all paid for? I mean, the short version. One of the big uh, campaign challenges in 2016 for the Trump campaign was apparently somebody had gotten a tip that uh, a a British uh, spy, if you will, intelligence agent by the name of Christopher Steele had a dossier that proved that Donald Trump was in collusion with uh, the Russian government and was trying to overthrow Hillary Clinton's chance to win the campaign. Now, in actual fact, what happened is the Russian intelligence community was out for both of these candidates. I mean, they they had no trouble going uh, uh, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, didn't matter. They were trying to mess the whole thing up. But British spy Christopher Steele was hired to basically find some dirt on, um, on Donald Trump, his conduct with Russia, allegations about his ties between the campaign and Russia. And that report was proven to be horribly false. What's interesting about it, though, is that the dossier was financed by Democrats in general and Hillary Clinton in particular. And if you're wondering, (laughs) the irony of this is just too rich. I'm reading a report here from the Associated Press dated March 31st, 2022, exactly one year ago today. And it reads as follows. Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign and the Democratic National Committee have agreed to pay $113,000 in fines to settle a federal election commission investigation into whether they violated campaign finance law by misreporting spending on research that eventually became the infamous Steele dossier. Are you picking up on what I'm putting down here? The Clinton campaign paid an $8,000 fine. The DNC paid another 105000 Basically, what happened was they hired Christopher Steele through a company, a secondary or a third party. They hired Perkins Coie, which then hired Fusion GPS, a research and intelligence firm, to conduct opposition research on Republican candidate Donald Trump and his alleged ties to Russia. 
But on Federal Election Commission forms, the Clinton campaign classified the spending as quote-unquote legal services. Sound familiar? Michael Cohn paid $130,000 to the actress known professionally as Stormy Daniels and another $150,000 to another woman who was a model in a men's magazine. Both of them claimed to have sexual relationships with the campaigning and then eventually elected president of the United States. And they were played, they were paid, and then the president reimbursed his attorney. In the case of Hillary Clinton, Perkins Coey hired Fusion GPS, and they paid Christopher Steele, who came up with the Steele dossier, and they were all paid through the campaign of Hillary Clinton. So why wasn't Hillary Clinton arrested? Why wasn't she indicted? Why was there no... I mean, they're not exactly the same, but they're eerily similar in the fact that when this did, in fact, happen, there's a slap on the wrist and a couple of fines for the DNC and for Hillary Clinton's campaign. But in Donald Trump's case, well, Roger, there's 30 different allegations here, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and they're all misdemeanors. I mean, the DA's office is going to have a huge mountain to climb to prove that these are felonies. Now, I understand why uh, this is happening. I mean, first and foremost. It, two reasons. Number one, Democrats are deathly afraid Donald Trump will run again. They want to have him barred. The reason they had him impeached twice is they tried to get him permanently banned from running. He still can run for president and have a second term, according to U.S. law. But the second reason, I mean, you know it, I know it. There's a lot of people who just got Trump derangement syndrome and they just can't get enough of him. I mean, their world won't be right until Donald Trump is convicted of something, anything. And then they could say, he's a criminal, and this will be on his permanent record. And, and okay, guys, life's too short. It really is too short. And it's interesting. I'm not saying that, you know, here we, here we go with another innocent man who's going to be, you know, thrown to the wolves because of a rabid court system. But the same type of mob mentality has been tainting American justice for quite some time, but it's nothing new because look at how the enemy stirred up the mob against Jesus, who had committed no sin. Even Jewish leaders were so threatened by him, they said, we've got to get rid of this guy. Let's kill him. Let's have him crucified. But here's the beautiful thing. Now, I'm not suggesting Donald Trump is a messiah. I think he had kind of a Cyrus-like existence when he was president, and God used him in a mighty way. And God continued to show us that it was God using Donald Trump because Donald Trump kept showing us it certainly wasn't Donald Trump. But nonetheless, we are kind of on the precipice of yet another move here. By the way, no one was paying attention yesterday to the Chinese-Saudi accord on oil. No one seemed to be really interested in what's been happening in terms of the suppression of evidence in the Nashville shooting case. This is a red herring that the left needed to play. They needed to hail Mary badly because they did not want the lead story to be China is now about to become Saudi Arabia's biggest oil customer and Saudi Arabia is taking a step closer to becoming part of a Middle Eastern security bloc with China and basically setting the stage, getting us even closer to World War III. So you guys pay attention now to Donald Trump getting arrested. But the good news of the gospel is God keeps bringing these things to light for us and showing us what's really happening in the world. And Lord, please continue to show us, show us what we need to know and what we need to see in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, oftentimes we relate to God politically. We relate to God financially. We relate to God emotionally. But 
the scripture tells us we're to love the Lord our God with, our, with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. What does that exactly mean? Author Catherine Mack has a brand new book out called Whole, W-H-O-L-E, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. She joins me to talk about it coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a fun journey, uh, one that I think is going to be uh, one that's be very beneficial to many of us because it's not uncommon for people to say, look, I've been walking with the Lord and I feel like I should have a spiritual life that's got everything firing on all eight cylinders, using the old euphemism, but for some reason it feels like your spiritual life instead is incomplete. And joining me today on the program is Catherine Mack. She is part of Dwellings Ministries and the co-author of a brand new book that's going to revitalize the way you look at your spiritual growth and also ministry on the whole. The book is called Whole, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Catherine Mack, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Thanks for having me on, Roger. I'm so excited to talk about this with you. Well, let's talk about, first of all, it's an interesting title for a book. What what are you driving at in terms of, I mean, it's whole. I mean, it's just one word. What, what are you trying to encompass in terms of spiritual growth with that? Well, you said it. A lot of us uh, have been Christians for a while and in the church, but still end up feeling like we're distant from God. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we put that on God, like he has maybe turned a blind eye and forgotten about us. But the premise of the book is that also sometimes um, it can just be that we are only coming to him with half of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so we're holding back from him. And so the book is just, um, it says with urgency that it's time to get back to coming to him with all that we are to bridge Mm -hmm. that gap. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know there are a lot of people over the years and I'll, I've got a few more of them than you, as we were talking about before we started our program here. I can remember back into the 70s when it was really big in church circles where I was attending church to mm-hmm. get the couples group together and they would try to figure out, they'd do like a Myers-Briggs thing or something and try to figure out, you know, what their personality types were like and whatever. And we kind of do that in the church too, don't we? I mean, there are certain people who say, oh, well, that guy likes that kind of egghead teaching. So they're more of a thinking type person. And other people like two hours of music and no structure because they like to to feel. And, and one of the things you point out in this book called Whole is the fact that it's not an either or, it's a both and when it comes to those types of things. Right. Yeah. Because of our personalities or because of our comfort zones or even the way we were brought up in church, what denomination we've been in, we can find ourselves leaning towards uh, certain parts of ourselves that feel comfortable. 
And and the difference in this and probably a Myers-Briggs uh, type diagnosis of you know, your personality is um, we do have leanings in the way that we relate to God, but God gives us a way forward and he, he offers us a growth path in learning to come to him with all that we are. So we don't just want to settle into our comfort zones. We want to actually experience all that he has. And, and part of that is realizing where we might be holding back and where we might have some gaps in our growth and um, learning to step forward in ways that maybe we haven't before. Mm, that's a great uh, summary of this new book by Catherine Mack and her co-author, Aaron Williams. We're talking with Catherine today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Whole, the life, and that's W-H-O-L-E, like whole as in complete, the life-changing power of relating to God with all of yourself. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Where does someone begin? I mean, is it, it sounds like it would be important to maybe do an assessment, kind of figure out the way we are. But I think maybe the greater question is, and this is something you guys wrote about in the book, the idea that we as Christians are not worshiping God, you know, with love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, that, that it, it requires that you're all in. And a lot of us never really got that memo. I mean, I don't know how else right. to say it, but you know, you go to church, oh, this is your gift. So we're going to use you this way. And you start thinking of yourself this way. How do we start unthinking those old thoughts? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I think we have to grow from where we actually are today. So actually, the very first step is realizing where our gaps are. So you mentioned that verse, you know, um, and we talk about uh, loving God with your head and your heart. And so I think to to understand that you probably lean toward one or the other in the way that you love God. I think the most important thing at first is just knowing which way you lean. And you might even ask some people in your life. Um, and then from there, a, a really good way to grow is uh, is just to start connecting with people who lean the other direction mm -hmm. and, and being humble and learning from from them. Um, and then also just praying and asking God to help because he, he wants to help us with it. You know, Catherine, you had me up until you said, I have to hang out with other people who go in the other direction. <laughs> I, so I, I Sorry, I just, I, I don't know why, but I went, oh, really? I mean, because I am a feeler and I want to go to a feeling church or I'm a thinker and I want, I'm a, I'm a doer, you know, a doer of the uh -huh. word, you know, as opposed to a being person who just wants to be in God's presence. But I, I tongue in cheek, of course, I mean, th right. this, this is one of the biggest challenges in the church right now is we're, we keep talking about biblical unity in the body of Christ. And yet we sometimes just think, well, that means there are black churches and Hispanic churches and Filipino churches and Anglo churches, not what you guys are talking about in the book called whole. So how, how do we, I mean, who do you expect, you know, is it the head person or the heart person is going to reach across the aisle? Is it the doer or the beer who's going to do this first? Where, where do you see this uh, starting to happen? We, we all need to do it. Um, we, we all have to. And I think, you know, it's kind of a first world issue that we're able to divide over things like um, how we relate to God and some of the, you know, denominational preferences that we have, but we need each other yeah. and God's doing a big thing in his church, but we need to learn from opposite sides. I mean, you know, with some of these dichotomies, truth and spirit, the, the Bible teaching churches need to learn from the charismatic leaders and the, the spirit, you know, strong churches need to um, maybe learn more about truth from the Bible teaching churches or people that are that are, that really know how to um 
help them have understanding. And so that's kind of pigeonholing those denominations and yeah. probably, probably not uh, representative of, of a lot of people, but we, yeah, we have to come together. And I think, um, I think it requires humility. You know, all of us want to, we're more comfortable in echo chambers. We're yeah. more comfortable with people that are exactly like us. And we can somehow get our heads around that and maybe even think we have our heads around God um, if we are surrounded by people that um, have the same preferences and have the same personalities and the same denominational upbringings that we do, but that's not the path to as much growth. And so I think it requires humility because I have to say, I, I have things to learn and I have gaps and I have holes. And even though, you know, this person or this denomination is different and relates to God differently and uh, they might be onto something and I, I might have something to learn from them. And we all have to do that. Catherine Mack is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I love what she's saying about echo chambers and familiarity and, and the, the th things that we don't want to have to change. And if you find enough people who worship like you do or think like you do or have those even vote like you do, then all of a sudden it gets easy to say, well, we are the true body of Christ, the true representation. Yeah. And and she's challenging this. She and her co-author, Aaron Williams, are the co-founders of Dwellings Ministries. And they uh, this brand new book called Whole, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself, it, it, it's going to be a, a kind of a blueprint, if you will, uh, Catherine, and correct me if I'm wrong, for putting some change in motion. Is that what part of the intent of the book was? I hope so. We've seen in these conversations that for people just to even have language around some of these things has mm. been helpful because mm -hmm. a lot of the time we, we have leanings that we, they're, they just have been caught, you know, and, and we don't have language for them. So in the conversations that we've had from people, just giving people kind of lanes to run in and um, words to identify ways they might lean and, and words to identify ways that might be a growth path for them has has been big. So I hope it's going to be helpful in small groups, just wanting to grow closer um, and deeper in their communion with God. Both you and uh, Aaron are parents. And uh, of course, as you know, you and your uh, your spouses uh, are raising your families in different states, but coming together on this, this ministry venture, when you were talking about giving language to things, or there is no language, this, that, and the other thing, I'm sure that kind of reminded you, or maybe you're still in the battle of those toddler years, you know, where there's that babbling going on. And I think of my two-year-old granddaughter who likes to walk around. My wife says, yeah, she's walking like she's got a schedule, like she's got a meeting <laughs> or something, you know, she's yeah. very purposeful. And then when she starts talking you know there's there's some words that come out but it's mostly babbling but in her mind man she is having a conversation with you i mean just and and why aren't you responding and that type of stuff and it's important for someone who's maybe a little more mature in the faith to come along and say hey let me help you get language is it are we at a point right now Catherine mack where uh, there are people who are mature in the faith but they are the ones that are struggling with these language barriers more than the younger ones coming up i think so yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the Barna studies, uh, the younger generation is just very interested in um, growing spiritually. They're they're open. They also really want to know their Bibles. And you, you get a sense that they need to start from scratch. Uh, I think, you know, with the older generation, yeah, I do think language has been a barrier. One, one way I see that is <laughs> we've just, we've grown up churched and we have a lot of lingo. Mm -hmm. Sometimes right. that lingo distances um, people from one side or another. I mean, I have an example of, um, 
you know, uh, someone that uh, was mentioning, uh, they were from a charismatic background and they were mentioning a lot of words about, uh, I remember one word being like um, activation. Are, are, we, are we growing in our activation? And I remembered um, some people that had no background with her denomination, just thinking, what in the world? I've never even heard that language before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could probably take what she was meaning and go back to a biblical word for people more in our generation and say, um, you know, what does it look like to really live out your faith or what does it look like to be filled with the spirit and Mm -hmm. biblical terms? Um, and, and that can build a bridge between, um, the known and the unknown between sides, for instance, with truth and, and spirit leaning people. But yeah, I think sometimes, um, we have developed so much lingo that it feels like babble. You know, we, we have associated with organizations that develop lingo or processes that, that develop lingo and it can start seeming like babble. So to get back, as you would say, to the bottom line, <laughs> scriptural words, um, there's a lot of safety in that and that can bridge the gap between people that are very different. Mm, boy, that's good insight from Catherine Mack today here on The Bottom Line. It's M-A-A-C-K, if you're Googling along with us at home. Her book is called Whole, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. Great conversation that's going to continue on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I mentioned today being a Good News Friday giveaway day. We've got two different resources to give away. We are midway through the opportunity for you to win the first one. Uh, Catherine Mack is with me, M-A-A-C-K. She and Aaron Williams are the co-authors of a brand new book called Whole, The Life, and that's H, excuse me, W-H-O-L-E. The, whole, the life-changing power of relating to God with all of yourself. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of this book to give away right now. If you've ever wondered, if you're the kind of Christian that says, I'm way more inspiration than information, or the other way around, she said, well, think of it this way. Are you inspiration as in breathing in or expiration as in breathing out? Well, as human beings, our physical body has to do both. So should the spiritual body as well. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, you're asking for the book called Whole, W-H-O-L-E, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself by today's first guest, Catherine Mack. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. 
Catherine Mack is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She and Aaron Williams are the co-authors of a brand new book called Whole, simply H-O, excuse me, W-H-O-L-E, uh, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron and Catherine are also the co-founders of Dwellings Ministry. Did I get that right in terms of where you guys are from? Yes. Yes. Tell, tell us about Dwellings a little bit. How did that come to get up together well it yeah we started off um as a conference and now um <laughs> this ministry is focusing on discipleship in the small spaces now so we're kind of uh this yeah dwellings is focused on equipping small groups and house churches so we are mm -hmm. uh working on yeah equipping ordinary people to lead out in their faith in the small spaces do you see house churches as becoming, I hate to say, a thing, but as more and more larger churches and bigger denominations are struggling with all sorts of generational issues, um, do you see the house churches kind of making a comeback or becoming a necessity oh, sure. here in the States? Yeah. For, for sure. Yeah. We we left the mega church. I was on staff in a mega church for years and loved it. Absolutely loved it. But um, our we felt like our assignment in this season was to uh, start a house church, which we've done over the last two years. And then now we're helping other people start them. And yes, I do very much think it's a thing moving forward. I, I think with some of the struggles people have had with, you know, power or moral failings or, mm -hmm. um, you know, even just the politics invading the church, um, people, a lot of people still love Jesus and want to grow spiritually, but they're not going to go into what I would call the front door of the church and they need some sort of side door and a different yeah. expression that feels totally different. So yeah, I, I kind of know it's a thing because we're starting to see more and more people that need to be equipped. Well, I love that. And maybe it's not a front door. Maybe it's a side door. Maybe it's lowered in through the roof. I mean, let's face right. it. I mean, you think about, I mean, the examples that we see in scripture, the sometimes the modern Western American church doesn't really fit that model. So why we work so hard to try to put all that together, sometimes it seems like we're just kind of, uh, it's an exercise in futility. And at the same time, though, when you look at these pairings, these areas of Christian life that you guys write about in your book called Whole, uh, head and heart together, not separate you know being and doing faith without deeds is dead right so you have to have the you know right. the, the the being part but you yeah. also have to be doing um truth and spirit one of my favorites though that you talk about this because of my years in the lutheran church is sinner and saint uh, talk about that for just a moment because i think that there are many people in the evangelical church who've gotten the misnomer that somehow you're either or but you're not both talk about that yeah yeah, this is an area where we we tend to lean toward feeling comfortable with the identity of sinner or comfortable with the identi identity of saint. But as you said, uh, both are true about us. Um, what we know from scripture is that before salvation, we were called sinners. You know, there was nothing we could do to get to God without the sacrifice of, of Jesus to bridge the gap. Um, so we were sinners. That was our identity and really our name. You see that um, being kind of the name of the people that are distance, distance from God without a way to him. Um, but after salvation, once we become followers of him, we are still very much acquainted with our sin. Like I feel the sin in my heart every day. I feel my distance from God because of my choices or, or my uh, thoughts or the, you know, the state of my heart every day. But what I didn't realize really until we did the research for this book was 
that in the New Testament, there's kind of one verse that's a little iffy, but we're not called that as followers of Jesus in the New Testament. And we have a new name and that is saints. The word saint is used over and over and over again to refer to anyone following Jesus. And so the language that, that you see is not something that for, for me growing up as a person that leaned toward the identity of center, it's not something I'm comfortable with. Like I'm still trying to grow into it, but you see, um, you see us being called saints. You see us being called children of God. You see Mm -hmm. us being called the priesthood and we still sin but we aren't called that anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's an important distinction. And how I would say it is, we're not, which is how I would have thought, we're not sinners who sometimes do something good. We are now as followers of Jesus, saints who still sin. So when I sin, that is, I mean, it's a reality. I sin every day. And that is something that I have done but it doesn't define my standing, right. my standing. My name is that I'm a saint. Now I'm not going to go around telling everyone I, <laughs> I'm a saint. Cause that has a different connotation Yeah, yeah. to just say I'm filthy rags and I'm only a sinner in need of God's grace is actually not accurate. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would have said for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, there are people out there, there are speakers out there that um, are communicating the gospel that are saying, I'm a saint and sin is behind me in life. And that is very, very dangerous. And if we're hearing that, we need to say that is heretical. Like we are not on this side of heaven, ever going to reach perfection. That's getting in God territory and he is big and we are still down here. Um, his ways are and thoughts and everything is higher, but, um, that's equally dangerous because we are called to a constant lifestyle of confession and realizing our need and our, and realizing that we fall short, but that comes from the identity of being kind of in with God mm-hmm. as part of his family and part of his priesthood. So it produces less shame, It, but it still produces humility. Yeah. Oh, boy, there's a huge difference between the two. And I think for a lot of people, you know, you think of humility and immediately go to humiliation and, oh, that's all bad. And I don't want to be, you know, where this is a culture that says no shame, no guilt. Uh, You do whatever you want to do. Be licentious. We don't care because we just want to get rid of those things instead of saying, wait a minute, you're what you're describing for us, Catherine Mack, is, is something that is attainable, but it's also explainable. I think we do have language for it. It's just a question of getting it into the vernacular that people can fully understand. And I'm I'm really encouraged by what you guys are doing with your ministry and also uh, with this book. We've got about 60 seconds left, my conversation with Catherine Mack, the co-author of the book called Whole, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. That book is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Who, for whom did you write this? I mean, is this kind of more curriculum as an individual? What, what are you, Aaron, hoping to accomplish with people in their lives when they read this book? The people we saw in our heads were nominal Christians, you know, or, or Christians that have been strong, but are just feeling a little disconnected. So definitely, um, written mainly toward the believer 
that just is feeling like they need some paths forward in a shifting church and a shifting time. I think that's a very fair uh, assessment mm -hmm. as to, you know, what you're uh, purposing to do. And I appreciate the fact that you guys have some pretty realistic goals with regard to the book as well. Uh, Catherine Mack has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line, co-founder of Dwellings uh, Ministries and the author of the book, Whole, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we will no doubt be giving away a copy of the book here in just a few moments. But first, though, let me thank Catherine for being a part of our broadcast today, for writing the book, and for joining us here on The Bottom Line. Catherine, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Roger. This was really fun. Well, a delightful conversation, a very, very important topic. And Catherine, thank you for your time today. Catherine Mack, the co-author of the book, Whole, W-H-O-L-E, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy of the book they're giving away right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, I mentioned today here on this Good News Friday that we had two resources that we're giving away. You ever had one of those moments with your kids or grandkids where they come up and ask you a question like, how old is God? Or how big is God? And you go, I don't know. How am I supposed to answer this question? Well, Sandy Silverthorne is an illustrator and an author who tackles this subject in a brand new book for kids called Kids' Big Questions to God, 100 thing, One Things You Want to Know. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have four copies of this great kids' book that we're giving away today at 800-227-5278. We'll take a quick break and come back with my conversation, part one of my conversation with Sandy Silverthorne in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, one of the most powerful ways to impart your faith, to share faith with your kids and your grandkids, of course, is through telling stories and reading books and things of that nature. But perhaps, you know, sometimes it's kind of a sweet type of focus, like an art link letter type of thing where kids ask the darndest questions. But more and more, as society's gotten a lot tougher, um, it's good to have a resource that helps you answer and deal with the larger questions 
about God and about the faith. Uh, author Sandy Silverthorne is with me today here on The Bottom Line, an award-winning author, uh, a guy with a Southern California background, but he has been writing and illustrating books for just over 30 years, nor- nearly one million copies sold. This is the guy who's the award-winning creator of the Great Adventure Bibles Children's Series. He's written some joke books. He's got a brand new book out that will be a must for every parent and grandparent who is in the Bottom Line Show audience right now. It's called Kids' Big Questions for God, 100 Things You Want to Know. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sandy Silverthorne, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Right. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, let's give honor where, where honor is due and recognition where it's due as well. Uh, I love this, um, this, this theme here because on a serious note, uh, having worked in pastoral ministry for many years, one of the number one reasons why young people, you know, we talk about what's happening in public schools, this, that, and the other thing. When young people hit the college years, you know, 18, 19, 20, it seems like many of them don't just take the, what we used to call the graduation vacation, where they go, oh, I'm at college now, I don't have to go to church every Sunday, but rather they just kind of bail on their right. faith altogether. And I had Jay Warder Wallace on the program not too long ago, and he said, well, they don't make that decision in high school. They make that decision in fourth grade. You know, I mean, and and they've oh. asked they're asking questions of the church, and the church doesn't have answers for them. And so, you know, from the basic questions, how old is God? You know, that type of thing, to the more important ones, it's important for us to have a conversation with our kids and grandkids about this. Talk about what was the genesis for you for writing this book, kids, kids, big questions for God. Oh well, uh, again, thanks for having me, and uh, what a treat to be on KBRT. Uh, they're part of my history, too. And so when uh, I was yeah. in Southern California, yeah. Well, um, I speak at camps for young people. I normally um, kind of am that demographic between like ages 5 and 10. And there's mm-hmm. a camp right here in the Northwest that I speak at almost every summer. And a couple summers ago, I thought maybe my theme would be kids' big questions for God. And so because I, I knew they had questions. First of all, before I even thought of the theme, when I finish speaking, almost always there's three or four kids with questions, and they mm-hmm. come up afterwards, and I love it. It's like my favorite part of the whole day. Um, and I thought, gee, that might be fun. So um, I started out every message with a question or two that I thought they might be interested in. Well, by the time the week got going, they were giving me questions. Oh, wow. And they thought, you you know, use my question. And so um, I did that for the week, and as well as hopefully uh, sharing the gospel story. Um, and then afterwards, I just thought, gosh, I wonder if this would be a book. And I work with a great group of people over at Baker Publishing, Baker Books, mm-hmm. um, and the imprint is Ravel, and they're just great people. So I put together a little proposal and said, hey, do you think this would be a book? And they got back to me and they said, yes, I think there's got potential. They had some great ideas, including um, adding some discussion questions, a couple pages throughout the book. Um where parents and their kids could just, you know, actually have questions about what we just read. Mm-hmm. And so then my challenge was to come up with 101 questions uh, to to fill out the book. I used a lot of the ones that kids had asked, but I didn't have enough. So I did some research and found other ones and made a few up and um, ended up with 101. And I am just pleased with how the book came out. It just came out about two weeks ago, and I love 
the cover and the design, and they just did a great job of putting it all together. I believe capturing my heart to um, answer some 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 fun questions, but also some real serious ones that kids yeah. might be asking. Yeah, Sandy Silverthorne is my yeah. guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book, as he mentioned, is called Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. And there's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I, I love what you're saying, Sandy, about the fact that here you are interacting with kids. You had a certain list, but toward the end, they were asking you the questions. And I love just why I have a grandson who's five. And uh, Isaac, is he's got this kind of mentality like the other night, his uh, his aunt and uncle flew in. He lives in Texas. They flew in from California to surprise him. And he came home from school, walked in. They had a couple of phones set up for cameras and to, to catch capture the moment. And he walked in, and the first thing wasn't, look, there's old Uncle Kevin and Aunt Kaylee. It was, how come somebody's phone is on the counter over here? And I thought, it's just so him. He went over to the phone <laughs> instead of to them, and it kind of spoiled the surprise. But I thought, but kids do that, don't they? I mean, they want to know, okay, I'm looking at this mosquito right now. How did God make that? You know, I mean, that type of thing. And so that, that, that those are the, let's face it, parents and grandparents, sometimes we go into a uh, uh, mode. So talk about your talk about how you went into say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make this book interactive. We're gonna like you said, the publisher came up with some follow ups and everything. But t- talk about that whole process about you know the blank pages that are in here too. Oh yeah, well, um, I I don't know. I just I guess I hang around kids so much. My daughter, who's grown now, when I am off to speak to a church group or a camp, um, and they're like five to ten year olds, she always says, "Well, have fun with your peers." <laughs> um, I think she really, she really, and I think there's some truth to that. I, mm-hmm. I kind of have this kid brain sometimes, and I, one of the things I think kids like to do is um, answer questions themselves. So yeah, all through the book we have little blank pages. You know, we'll have lines so they can write things like, um, "What are you really good at? Are you good at sports? Are you good at art or music? Or what are your?" In-? And that way they can write things down. Um, so it, I really do want it to be interactive. We have cartoon illustrations all the way through it, and as I mentioned before, we have some discussion pages where. After uh, we talk a question about, um, oh, who knows, why does bad stuff happen? If God loves us, why does bad stuff happen all the right. time? And so I, I hopefully answer that scripturally. But then afterwards, I have some questions. Of, um, what are you know? What are some hard things you've been through, and how did God help you through that? And go back and forth, and um, hopefully get kids and parents talking to one another about mm-hmm. these important things. Yeah. Sandy Silverthorne is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. That's Silverthorne with an E at the end. Uh, The book is called Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the things that is part of our job description as parents and grandparents is to protect the innocence of children. And yet when kids Mm -hmm. come at us with these really, you know, uh, insightful questions and coming at it from different vantage points. I realized that it used to be kind of cute. I mentioned Art Linkletter in the, uh, in the opener because we, you know, kids say the darndest things was funny. It was clever. And then, you know, to get that Johnny Carson, Art Linkletter reaction, you know, we, we would all kind of go, Oh boy, well, there's a, there's a question, but isn't that beautiful, how God, beautiful, how God uses the innocence of youth and especially kids in that six, seven, eight years of age range to not only ask the questions because they're learning, but he uses their questions 
to help teach us. Talk about why it was important for you, I'm sure, in writing this book to say, okay, well, it's got to be entertaining for kids. Got to have good illustrations. It's got to be, I mean, you know how to write jokes for kids, so you know how to keep them engaged. <laughs> but, but it also, that there's a, a payoff for us as parents and grandparents too, in dealing with issues that maybe we're not comfortable discussing, but this gives us an opportunity to do that. Oh, absolutely. I all, The minute I started writing this, I knew there it was going to be on two levels. Now, again, like you mentioned, it's real kid friendly. It use I, I have to watch myself not wanting to use big words and things. So it's it's kid friendly. They can read it themselves. But I kind of picture it um, interactive with a mom or a dad, maybe at bedtime or around the breakfast table, um, and they're interacting with one another. And frankly, this is my little known secret, just between you and me and your listeners. But I really did write it kind of with adults in mind, because some of these questions are questions I struggle with. Mm. You know, like I mentioned the one before, why does bad stuff happen? If God loves us, why do bad things happen? And nobody has total answers to that, but I tried to answer as scripturally as possible, um, that sometimes it's the bad things that draw us to him. So yes, absolutely. This is for adults as well as kids. And um, I tell adults when they say, hey, what if what if my kid asked me a question that I really don't know? I tell them, hey, be honest. Let them know, you know what, I don't really know the answer to that, but I'm going to do some research. Maybe we'll talk to our pastor or, you know, that neighbor down the street seems to know about the Bible. Let's talk to him and find out what he thinks about that. But just to be honest and let the kids know that, hey, let's discover this together. Mm, boy, that is great encouragement from Sandy Silverthorne today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the brand new book called Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. It has nothing but five-star reviews on Amazon, and you're going to love it once you get a chance to look at it. We've got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Sandy Silverthorne is my guest author and illustrator, brand new kids book is called Kids Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have four copies of this book to give away. I told you this is a great Good News Friday giveaway day. 800-227-5278, uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Your kids are going to love this book. We're also still taking your calls for the one copy we have left of Catherine Mack's book called Whole, W-H-O-L-E, The Life-Changing Power of Relating to God with All of Yourself, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's amazing how many Christians, when Catherine put it to me this way, will say, okay, I'm the kind of Christian who is more of the inhale type. I just want to breathe in God, drink him in, sit at his feet, worship, worship, worship. And other people are the, I want to go out and do something, the exhale type of people. Your body needs both inhaling and exhaling, and that's the whole point of worshiping God with everything you are. When it comes to our kids, though, these questions that kids ask, oftentimes, when we were younger, you know, it was Art Linkletter, right? Kids say the darndest things, and that was cute. Now we're living in a world where kids are asking the most bizarre questions. And largely it's because the culture that they're in. And I want to put it to us 
brothers and sisters, if you thought this season of life was just going to be easy, that the kids would just be cute and adorable and you'd get great photo ops with them, I'll tell you what, that, that's not happening. Sandy Silverthorne's book, Kids, Big Questions for God, 100 Things You Want to Know, is a fun illustrated book that does tackle some of the, you know, the more kid-like questions, you know. Can God make a mountain so big that he can't move it? You know, that, that, that ha you know, that, that's kind of fun. But kids are in a culture right now where they are being forced to reckon with things like transgenderism and lies about the environment or you need to get a vaccine even though we don't know what you're fighting yet and and there are a lot of different questions kids are growing up with that we never had to face and i don't think kids are necessarily looking for the quote unquote right answers from us here's what they're looking for they're looking for the fact that you don't melt under pressure when you ask them a question when you say i think i might be gay i i, I shared the story with my uh of my grandson uh, the other day talking with his aunt she was getting ready she'd spent the night over at their house and was getting ready uh, for the day and was putting on her makeup and they'd brush their teeth together and then he said hey can i do that too and she said well no actually this is something i do you don't have to do it um, but why don't we put stuff in our hair hair gel he loves to style his hair with hair gel okay so they found something common he just wanted common ground he wasn't trying to get a rise out of her but if we don't handle things in a mature way like that kids need to see what maturity looks like biblical maturity that wisdom scripture tells us it's more precious than gold that is good news and that's the bottom line for those who remain on the network my conversation with sandy silverthorne continues on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues sandy silverthorne today here on the bottom line he's the author of the brand new book called kids big questions for god 101 things you want to know it has nothing but five star reviews on amazon and you're going to love it once you get a chance to look at it we've got a link up at the bottomlineshow.com you know if you look through the questions even before you get into the contents of the book uh, kids big questions for god you're going to see a lot of questions that you might even as an adult who's been walking with the lord for a while uh, will have you know questions about and i think one of the things you've done sandy and I, I think you've done it very masterfully is there are some basic ones you know why do we celebrate easter you know does god like kids you know th those are those are good questions i mean those are questions that kids would ask right but at the same time right. then when you see what's happening in the world the world looks a lot different than when you and i were young when we were in this age demographic mm -hmm. it the, there are things that kids have to wrestle with right now that we can't even conceive of what it would have been like to process being six or seven or you know when i was a third grader i wasn't thinking about a lot of the things that kids have to think about today uh, talk about yeah. why why these questions that we're talking about here really are important where kids are getting hit with so much and i want to say meaningless information but there really there is a lot of useless info in the culture right now mm -hmm. as a, compared to the important questions that you're raising in this brand new book. Talk about why it's important for us to, to, to begin this conversation in the first place, let alone have it at all. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a great question. And you're exactly right. We're being, all of us, but especially kids are being bombarded in ways that we never were bombarded. They all have their phones or the internet and, 24-7 news cycles going on all the time. I'm not sure how much the kids are watching, but but they're just getting information all the time. And frankly, at best, it's useless. And at worst, it's harmful. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I had a parent ask me one time, 
gee, how do I address, you know, how do you address some of these things that are going on to my six and seven-year-old? And I felt like God just gave me a, an illustration. I said, you know what, when when bank tellers are trained to spot counterfeit bills, they don't try to show them every kind of counterfeit bill at all. They don't, in fact, they don't even deal with the counterfeit they immerse these bank tellers in the real thing, the real currency, over and over again, hours and hours of handling, looking at, studying the real thing. And so that way, when a counterfeit comes along, it just feels different. It just seems different. And because they've been trained in the genuine, the real thing. And so... Mm-hmm. If kids are are getting Bible truths, getting this is how God thinks about this, not in a big judgmental or or uh, angry way, but mm-hmm. in a gentle, age appropriate way, and hopefully my book could just just humbly speaking could be a small part of that. Um, then I believe that when kids get to that fourth grade, get to that high school, and especially get to going off to college to be on their own. They know that when they're out in the world, the parents would know that the kids know what the real thing is. And yes, yeah, sure, in college they may drift a little bit, but I've seen it. I've been a pastor myself, and I've seen young people come back because they mm-hmm. taste. There's a song that we sing at camp where we've tried the world, and it tasted sweet at first, but then it turned sour. And I believe that that happens um, if we've grown up with the foundation of Christian truth and the fact that God not only loves us, but has our whole future and hope planned out for us. Mm, Boy, that is great encouragement from Sandy Silverthorne today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the brand new book called Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. It has nothing but five-star reviews on Amazon, and you're going to love it once you get a chance to look at it. We've got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sandy, in our final moments together here, talk about an idyllic situation here where someone is saying, okay, I'm thinking about making this purchase, making this investment to spend with uh, time with my kids or my grandkids, especially in that key age where they're right before uh, puberty starts, right before adolescence, you know, they're what was the, uh, the educational uh, uh, thread where we had grammar school, you know, and then you, you grammar, logic and yeah. rhetoric, you know, so they're, they're right at the basics. They're just learning it now. Um, how can how can we best utilize this resource? Is it something that we buy and donate to our school library or our church library for the Sunday school classes, have one on hand at home? I'm, I'm sure the answer is yes to all those, but uh, talk about how you envision this being used most effectively. Absolutely. I didn't even think about that, but feel free to give one to your church library or Sunday school or at Christian school. But honestly, um, I would, the, the perfect, I love your question, the best case scenario would be, I really could picture a child and their parent, if, if, you know, if that was appropriate, that either at bedtime or dinner time, where they would just do one a day, um, almost like a devotional, where today we're going to look at question number 11, and, uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, it might be real light, like, is there a McDonald's in heaven? Mm-hmm. Or it might be a real serious one, like, why doesn't God answer all my prayers? Mm-hmm. Um, and and read it together, 
and then um, maybe talk about it. Wow, can you think of a time when you were praying for something and God answered that right away? What was that? And they could share, and then, or they may say, you know, I don't remember that. And I go, well, is there something we can be praying for right now? That, to me, would be the ideal situation where the parent and the child are, frankly, learning together, because none of us feel like we're experts mm-hmm. in the Bible, um, but to be able to learn together and um, have that time, not only where we're, you know, working our way through the book, but we're really sharing honestly and openly with each other. What a what a gift that would be to parents and kids, I think. Amen, amen. And it, it was it George Bernard Shaw used to say that the difference between the English and the Americans were we were two people separated by a common language. Um, the idea that we have, you know, here <laughs> here in the body of Christ, we do have different generations that approach, you know, the things of God and spiritual things differently. And you've got kids or grandkids in your home and in your world that are looking at the faith uh, situation from a much different perspective than we did when we were that age. And so this gives us a chance to kind of break down the barriers a little bit and meet them at a place where we can all speak a common language. And of course, the common language is the agape love of Christ. Sandy Silverthorne, the book is called Kids, Big Questions for God, 100 Things You Want to Know. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I highly recommend this resource. Sandy, great to get to know you and uh, great to get after many years of KBRT being a blessing uh, to you and your family. Uh, Thank you for being a blessing to our KBRT and other affiliates here on the Bottom Line Show Network. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you. And I, you are such a blessing to your listeners, too. And what a privilege to be able to connect with you. So thanks so much for having me. And that, brothers and sisters, is a great way and a great resource to, for us to use to take advantage of the idea that we in the body of Christ have answers with regard to the big issues of what's going on. You don't need to go to TikTok. You don't need to go to YouTube. We have God's word that tells us everything we need to know about him because he loves us and he gives us all that information. Sandy Silverthorne's book is called Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have not one, two, or three copies of the book. We have four copies of this great kids book that we're giving away today. But remember, just because it's a kid's book. Remember all those Saturday morning cartoons we used to grow up with, or we did grow up with? We used to watch when we were growing up. Um, trust me, this is one of those books where you're going to read it and you're going to say, I didn't know that. And that's okay. It's okay because you can read it in the book with your grandchildren or with your children and they'll be blessed. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Sandy Silverthorne is called Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, on the other side of this break, I'm going to take a look at why this book is so important, not just to me personally as a grandpa and also as a dad, though my kids are a little old for it. But there's a, my pastor's heart says there's a reason that we need more of these resources. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. 
Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to author Sandy Silverthorne for joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show for a great conversation about his book for kids called Kids' Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got four copies of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line, and I encourage you to give us a call, get this resource in your hands. It's going to be something that you will uh, definitely benefit from, I bet your kids are going to benefit from. Here's the reason why I love this resource so much. Because we've seen in recent years the number of children and young adults who are walking away from their faith uh, doing so in more record numbers. Now it's to the point where I was having a conversation with a pastor up in Portland, Oregon. He's got, his name is Josh White. He's going to join me on Good Friday to talk about the seven last words of Jesus in a powerful book that he has written about stumbling toward the cross. And we were having this conversation because he was in town last week. Uh, watch a little tennis and just kind of hang out and you know some people in Southern California and he said you know he kept referring to the Portland Oregon area as post-Christian and almost post-Christian slash anti-Christian and I really resonated with what he said but then I could, couldn't help but think because I, I opened up my social media page and I saw a clip from a guy by the name of Bart Campolo now maybe you know the name uh, Campolo maybe you are familiar with Tony Campolo in the 1980s, Tony Campolo was kind of a celebrity preacher to young adults and college students all over the country. White guy, Italian type of you know attitude, uh, was the pastor of an all-black church in Philadelphia, I believe, or just outside of Philly. And he was a social justice guy, and he was a feed-the-poor guy, and he just, I mean, he knew how to gin it up and get college students really revved up. I remember one year at Forest Home here in the San Bernardino Mountains, um, my brother was part of a group that went to the college... Uh, briefing weekend up at Forest Home, Tony Campolo was the main speaker, and everybody's just all, all energized about Tony. Bart, his son, uh, was a guy who had done some work with us at Homeward, and uh, we knew Bart. Uh, he was a really nice guy, very articulate, thoughtful dude, and Bart eventually left the faith. He deconverted from Christianity, said he grew up in it, saw too much of the showmanship too much of the here's how you do it to get people to respond a certain way type of stuff and it just he is now what he calls a humanist he actually worked here in southern california as a humanist chaplain if you can believe it um and now takes a look at life and says hey i don't believe in that anymore it just it doesn't it's not for me you know something tells me that whether it's bart campolo or that kid in your youth group who went away to college and all of a sudden they lost their faith when Jay Warner Wallace was on this program for the first time, and I'm hoping to meet up with Jim again at NRB because he takes great selfies, 
I know literally he does. I take terrible selfies. And we did a, we've done so many phone interviews a couple of years ago at NRB. We got a chance to meet up and he took a couple of great shots as I was on my way to the airport. And I'm like, man, I want you to be my selfie guy. But I remember something Jim said to me about that whole thing. You know, how does somebody like Bart Campolo grow up in, uh, you know, under Tony Campolo's leadership and then he walks away from the faith? How does that kid who is the president of the youth group all the way through high school go to college and they walk away from their faith? He said, look, they didn't walk away when they became adults. They didn't walk away when they went to college. They walked away in fourth grade when they had a question about God and didn't get an answer or maybe more accurately, got an answer that was evasive or dismissive. Now, young children are growing up in a culture right now where they are seeing drag queen story hours as mandatory in their preschools, in their public libraries, in their public schools, where they are seeing churches that are openly embracing homosexuality and transgenderism and things of that nature, where they're seeing people who are in leadership in Christian congregations practicing infidelity and theft and embezzlement and things like that. I mean, it's, it, it's awful what's going on. And yet you have to wonder how many young people who had a question about, say, same-sex attraction, if you will, came to their youth group and the youth pastor said, well, here's the deal. If you think you're gay, we're going to pray the gay away. Or you can't, true story for me, I, this is 30 years ago. I'm working at my church, Lutheran Church of the Cross, in Laguna Hills, Laguna Woods, California, actually. And I was teaching the high school Sunday school class. We didn't have one before. I mean, the church was really, <laughs> show you where it was. It was in Laguna Woods Village, which is in Leisure World. It's a retirement community. And the number of people who were uh, attending, there was mostly older folks, but then a new young pastor became senior pastor and his wife, and they had two kids. One was in middle school, one was in elementary school. So all of a sudden they had a youth group. You know, they had kids coming on the weeknights, the midweek service, and the confirmation class kids, once they uh, they would use that as kind of a service project. So I was teaching high school Sunday school, and I led the Wednesday night group. We had three girls. <laughs> it was the pastor's oldest child, his daughter, and the daughter of the woman who was a preschool teacher who became the principal at their school, and another woman, young lady as well. Just great kids. It was really a lot of fun to work with. Then we started doing a Sunday school class. And I, when I took it, we had three or four kids. And by the time I, these kids all graduated, we were up to 15. But there were a couple of kids who went to Forest Home Christian uh, Conference camp that year for winter camp. And they got kicked out of the camp because the camp did have a place for kids to smoke cigarettes. They understood that nicotine was addictive and wouldn't be fair to have these kids up there for four days without being able to smoke. So they did have a smoking area, but these kids brought pot. They brought marijuana. One of these kids was a neighbor of mine. So I got a call from the youth pastor at the time. And he said, here's the deal. Josh and Cameron have been kicked out of youth group. And I said, what happened? He told me the whole story. Well, Cameron had already come over and told me the story. They brought a couple of joints. It was stupid. They tried to smoke them. They uh, were reported back to their church. And, and the ch basically the church said, send your parents, come take them off the mountain. And so one kid, Cameron, said, man, I love being in youth group. I love being in Sunday school, and, and I really want to be here. And I, I, I don't know what I'll do if I can't go. And so I talked to the pastor, Phil Reimers, who's a senior pastor at a church in Colorado now. And he said, these boys are kicked out because they violated our rules. And I said, you know, Phil, with all due respect, don't you think they should be here? Because if anybody needs to see a good godly example of forgiveness and whatever, it's these guys. And he looked at me kind of cross-eyed. Like, 
it never occurred to him. He was an intern and he was trying to make a good impression and you know show that he was taking control of the situation. We talked about it years later and I think he kind of got over it, but this is where the culture is. Right now, kids are going to ask you questions that are uncomfortable. And it's not going to be, how old is God anymore? You know, it's not going to be, why did God give me blue eyes and brown hair? It's going to be, did God maybe transgender? Did God make a mistake? Why does this kid in my class have two dads and this girl in my class has two moms? And why do my parents get upset about that? Those are the questions they're going to ask. And so use a resource like uh, the book we've been talking about today by Sandy Silverthorne, Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know, as a way to kind of prime the pump and lay the foundation for asking those questions. We've got four copies of the book we're giving away between now and the end of the program today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, our final Good News Friday story for the week. You're going to love this one about a chance of second chances and redemption and then paying it forward. It's all coming back. It's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, we've got just a few minutes left for you to call in. For Sandy Silverthorne's great book, Kids, Big Questions for God, 101 Things You Want to Know. We have four copies of that book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. A good news Friday story to wrap things up for the week about a man who was uh, without means and he was looking for a handout. And instead, what happened was He got a whole lot more than what he bargained for. The man, uh, his name was Marcus. March of 2016, he shows up at Abby's Cafe in Minneapolis, and he asked the owner, Cecilia Abigail, for some spare change. Instead of getting the spare change, though, the owner of the cafe says, okay, I've got a different offer for you. Instead of giving you a few bucks for food, how about a job? Well, uh, he said, I don't know if you want me to have a job. I mean, here's the deal. I, I, no one wants to hire me. Well, why not? Well, I have a lot of felonies. 
no one wants to hire me for that. So now basically I'm on the streets and I'm getting money the only way I know how. It's the only honorable thing I know how to do, and that's to beg. So instead of sending him on his way with a couple of bucks in his pocket, Ms. Abigail said, well, here's the deal. You want a job? If you want one, I have one for you. And so that day, he was given a job at Abby's Cafe in Minneapolis. He started washing dishes. But before he got started, Abigail gave him a sandwich because she figured, well, you're homeless and, you know, I mean, you, you, you need to eat. I don't want you falling over. But instead of eating the whole sandwich, what the Marcus did was he took half the sandwich, found a piece of foil and wrapped it up. And he said, excuse me, before I start, I just need to take care of something. He went outside the restaurant with that half sandwich wrapped up in foil, found another friend who was homeless and gave him the other half of the sandwich. So from that day on... (laughs) It was a beautiful uh, experience, a good relationship between Abigail and Marcus working at Abby's Cafe. Um, It turned out that Abby's Cafe was going through a bit of a rough patch when Marcus was offered the job, so Abigail could only pay him for two hours every day. But Marcus kept showing up. He showed up on time, and he worked hard, and was only paid for two hours. Uh, she knew his situation was tough and he knew her situation was tough. And so she said, okay, here's the deal. I mean, when you come here, if you come here hungry, you can eat. You can have a meal here in addition to the two hours. But Marcus said, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I know you got to make a living. And so what would happen is she would pay him for his work every day. And then every day he would turn around and he'd go back in the restaurant and he'd order a meal. When she asked him, why he wouldn't take her charity, she said, you know, I'll be honest with you. It just doesn't feel right to take this for free. And actually, it feels a lot better for me to come in here and work washing dishes for a couple of hours and then buy my own meal. Do not undervalue the dignity of work. When we see what happens in the culture, especially as the uh, governments are working harder and harder to try to make more people dependent upon them, please do not devalue the dignity of work. Marcus had been on the street since he was 16 years old, but once he showed up at Abby's Cafe, desperate, looking for something, anything, all of a sudden his life began to change. Abigail said, I want to help him, but this guy needs help. He's got a drug addiction. He needs some help. And so basically, uh, she worked with him to help him set aside 10% of every paycheck so he could start learning how to save money. She hosted a fundraiser on his behalf, knowing that this is the situation that he had, you know, with drugs and whatever. And the fundraiser helped him raise about $8,000 so he could find a place to get off the street. So it's interesting. When you see what happens in this case, in Abby's Cafe. Uh, we're going to put the uh, article up at thebottomlineshow.com. There was a feature on Fox 9 News in Minneapolis. And the whole thesis of the story was, it's better to give than to receive. Because look at what happened here. A homeless guy came in looking for a handout. A woman whose business was struggling said, I'll do you better than just giving you a couple of bucks. There's a good chance that Abigail didn't have a couple of bucks to spare. 
but he offered him an opportunity. You know, I think about this. I saw this uh, tweet uh, going back and forth where there was someone who was getting angry at Ben Shapiro because Ben said, you know what? These school lunch programs being expanded, it's not helping the crisis of, uh, of food at all. You know, these kids are hungry. Give them one meal a day at school. Give them two meals. Give them three. It does not solve the problem. And a guy on the progressive left said, what do you mean it's not solving the problem? I mean, the kids were hungry. Now they're getting food. And a liberal uh, reporter, former CNN reporter said, yeah, why doesn't this guy understand this? And I thought to myself, well, they don't understand it because it's more than just about getting food. It has everything to do with the dignity of work and being able to provide for themselves. When you invest in one of Dennis Wilson's CDL or 3D alternative accounts, the 6% accounts, you're investing in that, in that work. These homes are actually apartments that are workforce apartments, ironically, in the state of Minnesota. And the majority of the people who rent them are people who are what we call workforce. They just got off of some kind of government assistance and they're standing on their own two feet. They're probably an awful lot like Marcus. They're paying their rent, they're paying their way, and they've got this dignity of work thing going back on again. I can't recommend that 6% account enough. And if you call Dennis Wilson at 800-696-9970, he can tell you more about it. But we conclude this week with the story of Marcus and Abigail and the remarkable turn of events that happened when a homeless guy walked into a restaurant looking for a couple of bucks so he could scrounge some food and wound up getting a whole new way of life that in turn benefited and blessed the owner of the cafe whose hard times have been reversed. Let God use your struggling, tough circumstance when you reach out to help others to be a blessing to you as well. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.